Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. How many of you have some pet peeve that drives you absolutely crazy? Raise your hand if you have a pet peeve. Yeah, man, you know, I have several pet peeves. How many of you guys are bothered when other people are late? Raise your hand. You're just bothered. This is second service, not as much first service. Hands went up. But, man, like, that's one of my pet peeves when other people are late. When I say we're going to be somewhere and we don't get there later, when I'm late, I get absolutely aggravated. And that's why Jennifer and I don't drive uh, to church together anymore. The first two years of our ministry, we drove to church together. And I'm trying to get there and... Uh, and, and we'd always be in a fight. By the time I got to church, I'd be aggravated. I'm supposed to be teaching a Sunday school class or preaching. By the time I get up there, man, I, I lost the victory because I was aggravated. I had said mean things towards her, and it was not very, very good. So we decided, you know what? For the last 18 years, you go to church on your own. I'll go to church on my own. And when I walk into church, I'll still be a Christian. Praise the Lord. One. One of, my wife, one of my wife Jennifer's pet peeves is when we sit down and we watch a movie together. Because we'll sit down and I'll watch a movie. In the middle of a movie, I'll ask her a question about the movie. And she gets aggravated. She asks me the same question. She asks, tells me the same thing every time. We're watching the same movie. And I, I, know, I know we are. But, babe, I got ADD. I'm watching the movie and then I think, squirrel. Squirrel. What do I have to do? You know, just like... Can't keep my attention, so I lose track, and I want to figure out what's going on because it's finally interesting. Like, if it doesn't get going, and, but, but one, that's one of the things that aggravates her, but she gets aggravated several things. She also gets aggravated when we're watching a movie, and there's a tearjerker, and it's just one of those moments, and I'm smiling at those tearjerkers. I'm just looking at her, and she, she, she's, she's like, don't look at me. And I. But the biggest thing that she really gets aggravated is her pet peeve is when we watch a movie, and there is the last part of these unpredictable, crazy movies that you never know what's going to happen in one of those Nicholas Sparks movies. Unbelievable. You never know if they're going to kiss at the end. It's unbelievable. Like, man, like, so they finally come to the point. It's that last kiss, and she's going down there. And when we're watching the kissing scene, I want to step over the chair, and I want to get down, and I want to give her a kiss. And she says, man, oh, don't bother me. This is my favorite part of the movie. And I'm like, no, I don't want to watch the movie. I want to live the movie, baby. We don't watch movies together anymore. <laughs> she goes, but seriously, she goes by herself. I go by myself. But I want to watch movies with you, baby. Give me one more chance, please. <laughs> Just kidding. But for, for some people, especially those outside of the Christian faith, if you talk to them for a couple minutes, they'll have all these lists of pet peeves they have against church and Christians. And, and I think sometimes people inside the church... They're looking at the church and they're looking at Christians and they want to say, hey, I want to see somebody who's truly devoted to Jesus. I want to see somebody who really believes what they say they believe. The problem of how the world views the church has been a problem that has been going on for a long time. Uh, Gandhi famously and sadly once said, I, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So here's the tough question we got to ask. When, when do you think of a Christian? When you think of a church and its people, what do you think of? Do you think of a beautiful building? Do you think of great preaching and teaching? Do you think of an incredible worship experience? 
But the Apostle John says that the church should be known for one thing. And the one thing that the church should be known for is love. When people look at the church, when people look at Christians, according to the Apostle John, he says they should say, wow, those people sure know how to love. But Barna in his studies show that people don't think that church is a loving place, but they think of the church as being a judgmental and a self-righteous place. And this morning in our series, as we finish it, I got to know, we're going to continue to answer this question. And here's a question, how can I know for sure I'm a child of God? How can I know for sure? We looked at it a little bit last week, but John's going to tell us this week as we continue the part, part two, that one of the ways that we know for sure that we're children of God is the love that we have. See, John gives us a series of tests in this book to see if we really know God, if we really experience the gospel. Last week, we talked about if we know God, if we truly are walking with God, if we truly know the gospel, there's going to be proof in how we feel about sin and how God is always answering our prayers, if you remember last week. This week, we're going to talk about how understanding God's love for us and allowing it to flow through us is proof that we've been born of God and that we are truly children of God. And when I think of tests, and especially the test that First John gives, it reminds me of a friend of mine who I had who went to the University of Texas, and he signed up to take an ornithology class. Ornithology is the study of birds. And he thought it would be an easy A. He had been coming to the last part of his uh, tenure there, and he needed, he needed just a couple more hours. This was an elective. He says, I need a class where I can just relax and unwind. And, this, this, and he said, this would be a great way to get my GPA up. My GPA up. And it would be interesting. He was fascinated with birds. But he came out to find that that class that he took in ornithology was the hardest class he had ever taken at UT. He failed the first three tests. He said his professor was a bird fanatic. This guy knew everything about birds. And he said when it came time to take the final exam, he was doing so poorly. If he didn't get a high A, a 95 and above, he wouldn't even pull a C in the class. So instead of going out and studying, just enjoying that, he spent that last week of finals week, man, just pouring in and learning everything he can in the textbook about birds. So he got down there. He was ready to take finals week. He went in for finals week, and he said, I was never more prepared. I never studied more. I was never more ready to take a test than I was to pass that ornithology class. But to his surprise, when the test came up, they only consisted of one thing. It displayed on the screen. On the screen came up a picture of 35 sets of bird legs. There was only one statement according to my friend. He said, you are to identify all these birds according to their legs. Wow. He was so ticked off. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, bird legs, are you serious? He told me he didn't study any bird legs. He told me he shut his computer. He raised his hand. And he told the professor, this isn't fair. And the professor sternly told him, I told you everything was game. I told you you need to study everything, that you know my, test, my class is art class. And his, professor, and his professor looked at him and says, that's part of the test. He looked at him and he said, this is ridiculous. I'm not even going to put down the first answer. Man, I, this is not fair. I don't care if I don't graduate. This is not fair. The professor looked at him and he said, fine. If you don't take the test, you're going to get a zero. My friend said, fine, I'll take the zero. This is such a ridiculous, stupid test. And he said, he said some words that he shouldn't have said. And he begins to walk out. And, uh, and the professor looked at him and said, friend, sir, before you leave, I'm going to mark you a zero right now. Tell me your name. My friend looked at him. I gave him my name. I said, sir, before you leave, give me your name. He said, you want to know my name? You tell me my name. You tell me my name. 
parts of that story may or may not be true. And I, I say that story to get to the sermon today. The tests that John gives us in 1 John aren't easy tests. There's no way that you can study the book of 1 John and not have a clear understanding of where you stand with God. It's like I told you last week, John wrote in the summary phrase, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The first, first John is a very comforting book. It really gives you security of your faith. But it's also a very challenging book because if you are not rocking in security and really walking as a Christian, it exposes that too. So let's go at, let's, this morning, we're going to take a series of tests that will prove if we're truly Christians or not, according to the Apostle John. Let's pray that God speaks to us, speak to us before we get into his word. Just close your eyes. Say this. Say, Jesus, open my ears to hear and my heart to receive. Say, test me, Lord. Show me areas of my life where I want to be more like you. Lord, confirm it, Lord, where you're already moving. Amen. So as we take this test this morning, let's start this morning in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at chapter 4 this morning, starting in verse 7. Look what he says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And, who does, and, he, and anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And here's a very simple thing that we learn. Here's what we know. God is love. This is one of the only times in Scripture that God is identified with one of his attributes. John doesn't say that God is loving, but he says that God is love. That love is the very essence and core of the being of who God is. And John, the apostle John, especially understood this attribute. John was always referred to in the scripture as John the Beloved, or they referred to him as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And he had a first-hand experience of the love of God, and nobody is more qualified in all of scripture to tell us about the love of God than John himself. See, the early church fathers record, early church fathers like Irenaeus and Tacitus would talk about that when John would go to the, visit the early church, he would stand in front of the church, and he would simply say this, he would simply say, my beloved dear children, love one another he would just say that statement and according to early church history the whole church would break down and start weeping because there was so much love pouring out of john that just those words alone would literally cause the move of god to stir in the church so this is a man who was known for love not only being loved by god by loving others but here's the interesting thing about john john wasn't always a loving man when he first met Jesus, he was a little rough around the edges. He and his brothers were known, his, him, him and his brother James were known as the sons of thunder. They looked more like hell's angels than choir boys. Seriously, as Jesus called him, I want you to picture this rough, tough guy tatted all over the place. Like they're following Jesus. Man, you read the Gospels, they're headed out there. Jesus sends them out to preach. They don't listen to James and John. They come back. They're talking to Jesus and say, Jesus... They're not listening to you. What should we do now? Let's make them a barbecue. Let's call fire down from heaven. Let's burn that whole place. Who cares about them? That's John. He wants to literally fry people that don't believe like him. But later in his life, after he's walked with Jesus, instead of wanting to zap people and make them a good fajita on a hot day, he was persecuted and willing to die for people who didn't believe like Jesus. Something happened to him. 
the son of thunder, all of a sudden, would literally, church history tells us that he was boiled alive and he would not die. And then he was exiled into the island of Patmos, all because he wanted everybody to know about Christ. See, one of the proofs that we are children of God is that we love people. Look at verse 9 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest. I want you to circle, underline, highlight, smiley face, the word manifest. The word manifest means that it's the Greek word koinonia. It means you know it, you felt it, you've experienced it, you've had fellowship with it. It was, it was made, it was made, it, man, you touched it. It was made manifest among us, the love of God. And that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in verse 10, John describes that love. He says God's love just wasn't a sentimental feeling. It wasn't just some thought. God's love moved him to action. Look at verse 10. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he look, loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means payment. And this is the gospel. God, instead of judging us for our sin, died in our place. So here's the nothing. So not only is God love, but here he gives us the beginning. He frames love and he sends his son and he shows us that Jesus is the proof of God's love. So not only is God the very essence of love, but God frames it, puts skin on it, puts a picture of it, and shows us that Jesus is what love is all about. See, God did the unthinkable. A king dying for unrepented traitors. A creator dying for creation. A betrayed lover dying for the very person who betrayed him. God loved me in spite of me, not because of me. He found me at my lowest point and he loved me anyways. This week as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about the incredible radical love of God. This is the thought I had. So like what if we were still single and we were in the club and we were talking and you had to wear a little label around your neck just telling everybody about your annoying character traits. Kind of like the warning sign on a carton of cigarettes. Is it like warning? Somebody could jump off to you. Moody. Ferocious morning breath. Warning. What if they said this? Warning. Smelly, stinky feet. They're covered up right now, but don't open up those shoes. What if they says occasionally lies? Warning, anger problems. Don't get in a fight with them. They'll start screaming at you. Warning, daddy issues. Warning, mama's boy. What, what, like, like, you realize you got issues, I got issues, we all got issues. Every one of us has issues. Touch somebody and say, you know what, I got issues. Anyone, and, and God looked at us and he saw all our issues and he saw all our struggles and he saw all the warnings and he still loved us and paid the ultimate price for us. That's an amazing thing. See, the greatest desire that the human, human condition has is they have one desire, and your desire and my desire is just we want to be known and we want to be loved. We'll spend our whole lives trying to prove ourselves to people, to a person, because we want somebody to accept us. And in the gospel is the only place that we're fully known and fully loved. Because in the gospel, God knew all our, all our traits. He knew all our challenges. He knew all our struggles, and he loved us. Anyway, see, to be known and not loved is rejection. And we, learn, we live in a world where people are broken and hurting because they've been rejected. But in the gospel, he knows you and he doesn't reject you. He loves you. And not only that, to be loved and not fully known, it's one thing to be accepted. But how many of you guys are trying so hard? You're trying to act a certain way, trying to live in a certain name. You're just trying everything because you're afraid if they really found out who I am, I don't know if they'll love me. 
So to be known and not loved is sentimentality. It's shallow. But yet God says in him, we are fully known and fully loved. And that's the most amazing gift that we can ever have. That's the love of God. And here's the truth I want you to learn. That the defining characteristic of God, characteristic of God is love. And the defining quality of God's love is the grace he showed to us. The love of God is something that we need to sit down and meditate on and think about till it becomes real to us. Because when it becomes real to us, it will change everything. It will leave you in stunned awe of how much God loves you. Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preachers, he is considered to be one of the greatest orators who have ever walked the planet. He said if there was one subject that he would always speak of, but one that he felt utterly incapable of talking about, it was the love of God. And this is what he said of the love of God. Quote, it makes me back up from this platform utterly ashamed of my poor, feeble words. This love of Christ is the most amazing gift under heaven, if not all of heaven itself. And when someone gets a glimpse of the love of God every time in Scripture, they cannot comprehend it. They cannot describe it. They lose their ever-living mind when they talk about the love of God. Look what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, Behold. That word behold in the original, he's like, man, can you believe this? It means this is scandalous. This is unbelievable. Can, this is, this can't, this, watch this. He says, man, look at this. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. He says, what is this? Look what Paul says in Ephesians 3.18. How wide and long and high and deep is the love. Of Christ. It's as high as the heavens above and as deep as the oceans. See, one of the great ironies of my life is that every time we go on vacation is we go to the beach every single time. And I can't swim. So we're always going on a cruise or we're always going to the beach because Jennifer loves the beach and my girls love the beach. And I've learned to love the beach because it's, man, I love beach vacations because once you get down there, you don't have to pay anything else. Hey, just go down there, $5 entrance, you know, you're not spending any more money. Just look at the ocean and you're just relaxing. If you're a dad, man, I learned to love the beach. You know, it's a, just once we get a nice place that's affordable, let's just go chill on the beach. We're not spending money because when you go to the mall, oh, Lord, ching, 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 ching. You're like, you're looking at your debit card. <laughs> it's going down. They can't spend any money on the beach. Thank you, Jesus, for the beach, you know. I remember when we go to the beach and in the beach over our lives, Jennifer and I, at least not me, I have had many near-death experiences on the beach because I can't swim. At least I thought they were near-death experiences. But I remember as the kids were small, especially little Nevaeh, we would go to the beach and we'd walk and she was about knee-high and she'd get my little finger and We'd walk across the ocean, and some of the greatest memories of my life is I'm holding her, and then she's walking in the ocean, and if all of a sudden here comes a wave just crashing over her head, but man, hitting my knee, because you know when you have calves like these, the oceans can't move you, right there, these calves, these legs will sustain you regardless of how high and strong those waves are, so they would crash against my massive calves, and I was whole, why are you laughing, is <laughs> not that, I know I need to do some leg work. So I'm, I'm holding the veil, and I remember a couple times just the waves hitting her head, and she'd get up, and she'd go, start crying. And she'd go, Daddy, Daddy, pick me up too deep, too deep, too deep. And I would pick her up, and i think to myself, Baby, you have no idea how deep this ocean is. You think that just a couple of feet 
is too deep. And that's sometimes that we feel in worship or in a message or in a moment. The ways of God's love crash us in and they beckon us to come deep in him to know his love and that's what God wants us to do God wants us to drown in the depth and the power of his love for us because when we just taste a little bit of the love of God it is so amazing it is so beyond our comprehension when we experience God's love it will overwhelm us so let me ask you this question have you ever been overwhelmed with the love of God where you're just sitting back and like just weeping like wow God I cannot believe how much you love me Christians all the time are overwhelmed with God's love. Look what David said in Psalms 103, as four, as high as the heavens above, so great is God's steadfast, never-changing love for those who know him. Think about that thought, as high as the heavens are above the earth. How do you even measure that? It takes a long measuring tape to measure that, doesn't it? Think of it this way. To get to the edge of our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, traveling at the speed of the light, it would take a hundred thousand years according to what scientists tell us light travels as a hundred light travels at 182,282 miles per second which is so fast that in the time that i snap my fingers light circumnavigates the globe seven times right there seven times it's gonna wonder seven times sometimes you, you know that's how much that's how fast it goes in traveling at the speed of light it would take a hundred thousand years to get to the end of just our galaxy but our galaxy is one of between 250 billion to 100 billion galaxies on the conservative side, galaxies in the entire universe. So let's just be conservative. To get to the edge of the universe, if we had 100 billion galaxies traveling at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second, it would take 15.5 billion years to get there. And this is the analogy that the Spirit of God that John uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that how much God loves you. Does that not blow your mind? That's how great His love for you is. Look what he says in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, then he says this, we ought to love one another. So here's the next thing we learn. That when we experience God's love, it'll cause us to love others. And the reason we ought to love one another is because God is love and he loved us first. And this is very important. This is the Achilles heel of atheism and philosophical naturalism. A worldview without God can't provide a reason why we ought to love one another. A worldview without God cannot even define what love is. And I'm not saying most agnostics and atheists will say love is a good thing. And some of them are very loving people. But philosophically, they can provide no ought to and no definition for what love is. No reason why love is good and no reason why love is right. And John says that we ought to love one another because God loves us. He says we've been given a definition of love. God came into this earth and he put on skin and he showed us what love is. And he says the way that we've been loved, we are supposed to love others. That's what's so powerful. That's why so many people that don't believe in Christianity or don't believe in Jesus, they have a lot of big questions to answer. They cannot even define what love is. They have no ought to for the love. But to us, Jesus is the very definition of that. And John says the proof that we know God and have been born of God is that we love others. Now let's look at verse 13. Here John is going to back up and he's going to make the same point. And he's going to come from a different angle. Look what he says. 
By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us. How? This is, this is how you know your children of God. That he, how, how do we know? Because he has given us that same spirit. How do we know the spirit lives inside of us? There's not a spirit reader that says, oh, the force is strong in this brother right here. Praise the Lord. Some people believe that the proof that they have the spirit of God is that they can prophesy, they can do miracles, they can speak in tongues. And, and don't get me wrong, yet all those are workings of God's spirit and we believe in those things. But the main proof that God's spirit is in you, according to the Apostle John, there's one proof. And there's a love of God for you come in and there's a love for others inside of your life. Look what he says in verse 16. So we have come to know him and to believe the love that God has for us. The reason that we know that we're children of God is that we know him and that we believe that God loves us. To be filled with the spirit of God, according to John, is when you have a knowledge of the love of God that it's so real to you, you can almost taste it. Your heart can feel it. You can touch it. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. You have a firsthand knowledge of the love of God. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe with your heart? Do you know that God loves you? Are you secure in the fact that he loves you every area of your life that's how one of the reasons that you know you're a child of god so easy to say you know I, I think he loves that person i think he loves pastor b but how do i know he loves me and one of the things that have blown my mind over the years is the more i walk with god the more i realize how much he loves me the more i realize the more i realize even the small details how he is watching over every part every part of my life every part of my life like Jesus says this, that not even the birds fall from the ground without him noticing. Surely he sees us. He sees our trials. He sees our struggles. And one of the things I want to let you know is God loves you. Even when you feel alone, even when you feel stranded, even when you feel like nobody's there, God loves you. This past week, uh, kids came back from youth camp and my nephew was with me. And uh, he's from New Mexico, so I wanted to make a quick little trip to New Mexico after second service, go visit my grandma my, and my, my mom and my dad and come back real quick. It would be a quick trip. So I said, man, I'm going to get up right after service, and we're just going to head out, and we're going to drive all day long, and we'll get a chance to spend some time with my family. So I began to drive. And how many of you guys have ever driven through Texas? Like, man, don't get me wrong. I'm, a native, I'm not a native Texan, but I got here as fast as I can. I love Texas. I'll tell you what I hate about Texas, though. It's long. Oh, Lord. Man, you ever a road trip? Hey, Florida, Louisiana, Alabama, you're just moving. Boom, boom. You get to Texas, 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 Texas. Oh, Lord. You can drive Texas for years and years and years and years. And there's a lot of middle of nowhere Texas. A lot of middle of nowhere Texas. So we're driving back, and I'm trying to get home. When I was young, I could just... Okay, when I, was, when I was under 30, I can just work all day long and just drive 12, 14 hours, no big deal. Now, as an old man, 40, I'm like six, eight hours. I'm like, oh, Lord, there's the Black Panther when I'm driving home, slapping myself, trying to get a Mountain Dew, trying to stay awake. So I'm like, oh, I'm driving. So all of a sudden, I got this rhythm. I'm like, we're going to make it. We're halfway past Lubbock, and we're just rolling in the middle of nowhere, Texas, where there's tumbleweed and those little, those little windmills and just nothingness and nothingness. And we're in the middle of nothingness. And a week, man, a week before, a dumb deer ran into my car. So just preface this. This deer, I'm just driving. I don't know where, head butts my car, runs down there, smiles at me, looks at me, and wafts. while I'm looking down there, my whole car's jacked up. I'm like, oh, Lord. So I go down there, check it up, and I know I need to make this trip. So I went to Enterprise, got a little small rental car. They gave me this little rice burner. It had like two cylinders on it, but hey, who cares? 
So I know I'm going to take this trip so I get the roadside assistance. So I'm in my little car, me and my, little, me and my family. Jennifer has to stay because she has to work. But I'm taking the girls with me to see their grandparents. And we're driving. All of a sudden, as we're driving in the middle of nowhere, Texas, I hear this starts bouncing. I'm like, oh, Lord, this happened to me last time. All of a sudden, pop! My tire, you have a blowout on my front tire. I have to pull over. I'm like, oh, Lord. Thank God I'm smart. I got that roadside assistance right before we came. $5.99, best $5.99 I've ever spent. So I called Enterprise. Hey, I got a blowout. Where are you at? I don't know. Figure it out. How? What do you see? Tumbleweed? What do you see? Literally, I had to walk literally a couple miles up there. Oh, here's a road with a phone, spotty services. I'm fi- trying to get their attention. And finally, after I, we got a blowout about 7.50, 8 o'clock, we got a hold of them. It's okay, they're going to contact you. 8.30, they didn't call me. 8.45, they didn't call me. 9, they didn't call me. So I called them at 9 o'clock, saying, hey, nobody's calling me, but they're going to call you. 9.15, they didn't call me. 9.30, they didn't call me. 10, they, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Two hours later. Man, finally, three hours later, they finally call me. Triple A, worst people ever. <laughs> Says, you got four people. We can only pick up two with the tow truck. Enterprises want to help you out. You got to figure it out. Like, what? Yeah, figure it out. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's like 10.45 at night. Like, I'm figuring it out. Like, man, I don't mind leaving the girls, but Jennifer will get mad at me. What am I going to do? Like, <laughs> so I was just thinking about cheats, eh? So I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere, stranded. But with God's grace, there's this beautiful angelic couple right here, that right here, the singletons. Right here, Quentin and Sheila. They saw it on Facebook. They just happened. They just happened to be in Grand, the Grand Canyon at that moment. And they just happened to be in a truck by themselves that would fit four people. And then we could put the stuff. They just, they just happened to decide to leave early, right? They just happened to decide to leave early. It was just this random coincidence. And then it just happened to be taking that same spot where we were at. And she reached out to me on Facebook. And I said, don't worry, AAA's got this. Right? That's what I told you, right? That was like 90 miles away. Then 20 miles away, are you good? No, we're stranded. We're going to die. I think I saw the Yorona. She was right there. She says, we'll get there quickly. They come around, turn around, and man, halos on there. The Jesus music. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. These lights come up there. It wasn't the Yorona. It was the singletons. They came to save us. We put the stuff on the truck. We went back there, and they drove us to the nearest enterprise in Lubbock, probably like 45 minutes away from there. But God's grace. Here's what I want to let you know. God loved me so much that he would arrange them to be in the same road at the same place to pick us up so we would not leave stranded. It's the power of community. That's the power of God's people. There's so many lessons in that. God was just showing me, I got up that morning, I was just thanking them. Thank you again, thank you, thank you. And thanking the Lord. Let me tell you this. God loves you. You might feel stranded. You might have been there for three hours. You might have been calling and praying over and over. And you're like, God, where are you? I'm all by myself. Do you even care about me? But let me let you know, God has your miracle coming on the way. And it's right down the street. You might not see it right now. You might not even know it's coming. But I can promise you this. You have a God who loves you. And the more you walk with God, 
The more you open your eyes and you see there's no such thing as coincidence, but everything is God's love in your life. And John appeals as he closes this chapter in the latter part of verse 16. He says the same thing. He's saying it over and over again. In the first John, it's a cyclical. He repeats himself over and over. He says, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And look what John says again in verse 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he says, he is a liar. See, you cannot encounter the type of love of God that, that, man, and not love others yourself. There's a point that John is making. Let me give you an example. Imagine, service is about to start. In three to four minutes, the bumper video comes up there, and this is empty, and I'm not here. After a minute, two minutes, three minutes, I come just stumbling out of that door right there, and, and like my pants are torn, my hair's not combed, I'm all full of mud, I'm just flabbergasted, I'm right here, right here, and everybody's like, that's awkward, you're like, what's going on, what's he doing, you're just waiting for me to come to preach, what if I told you, you know, on the way to church, I was driving an I-35, and I had a blowout again, <sighs> another blowout, what a man, what a bummer, I had a blowout, and I had a blowout, I started taking out the lug nuts, and I put the tire on, and I put the tire on, and one of the lug nuts kind of just went into I-35, and we were right in that corner, and right when I went to pick up the lug nut, guess what? A semi-truck just came and hit me, 75 miles an hour head on. I got a little scratch, but the semi-truck was totaled. You know, and then it came back. <laughs> then it came back, and then it ran over me again. You're going to look at me, and you're going to say, you're a liar. See, because if you get hit by a semi-truck coming 75 miles an hour, and I-35, you're going to look different. You're going to walk different. You're probably not going to walk at all. And John, this is the point. It's a horrible illustration, but I'm trying to make the point here. Is that this. What John is saying, you cannot be hit with the full force of God's love and not look like it. There is something. When you have seen God's love, when it has captivated you, when it has captured your heart, when it has captured your attentions, there is something that says that person has come into a head-on encounter with the love of God. And everything you do, the way you walk, the way you talk, everything is different. That's how you know you're a Christian. And maybe the fact that you're so rude and unforgiving to your spouse is proof that you don't really understand the gospel. Maybe the reason that you're always offended all the time and you hold grudges. Maybe the reason that you're not generous and not a giver. Maybe the reason that you're judgmental is the fact that you've never really encountered the love of God. So now here, let's get to the hard test as we close this message. How do we know if we really are children of God? Test one. We know we're children of God because we have love for others. Let me ask you some tough questions. Let's get real practical here. How much do you love people? How much do you sacrifice for people? Like, here's a tough one. Where would you be if Jesus chose to leverage his resources towards you like you leverage your resources towards others? How are you leveraging your time, your talents, your treasures to others? I'm not saying that everybody should be a pastor, everybody should be a missionary, but some of you really need to think hard about your life. You need to ask yourself, am I living my life to build my own kingdom, or am I living my life to build God's kingdom? Loving Jesus is saying, God, I'm going to use my gifts, my talents, my opportunities in front of me, whether that be in corporate America, whether that be building my business, whether it be as a father or a mother, whatever it may be, Lord, it's yours. Here's another series of questions. How quickly do you forgive? Do you hold on to grudges? 
the desire good for other people. When somebody gets a promotion in their job and you don't, are you excited for them? Here's a real basic question. Simple. Are you interested in other people? Do you spend time with unlovely people? People that are difficult to be around. See, if everybody looks like you, talks like you, has the same job like you, is the same demographic you are, is in the same stage of life that you're on, you might not know, really, you might not know Christ. Because when you love Jesus, he's going to put down people from every background, every demographic, every social economic status. You will be friends with others. Do you take time to know people? Are you the kind of person, because there are some type of people, they have every relationship, and every relationship has a purpose. It's with how they can get them, what they can do for them. Do you have a relationship where you're the only one that's giving, where you're the only one that's giving? Another question is this. When you have conversations with others, what's your attitude? What do you talk about? After you finish talking, you said, you know, I've talked about myself enough. Why don't you stop talking, and why don't you talk about me now? People love to talk about themselves. So when you sit down and you talk to somebody, are you just talking about you, 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 you? Every time I go out and I, sometimes I talk to people, I, I always want to know about them. And all the time people would say, and I genuinely do want to know about them. I genuinely love them. They say, I've had the best time ever. Because people love themselves. You get, do you take time to know others? Do you know, want to know them? Do you want to know their story? Or do you always dominate the conversation with your interests, with your thoughts? Here's the toughest one. Let's get really real here. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Who was the last person you shared Jesus with? We give a lot of bad excuses for our lack of sharing Christ, don't we? But the sign that we're filled with God and that we love others is we love like Jesus loves. And like here's the reality. If we know that God loves us this much and if we've experienced this love and we know what a life without that love and an eternity without that love would do, we cannot help but open our mouths and tell somebody about that love. We can't allow them to live without him. And one of the reasons that you've known that you've experienced God is you get up in everybody's business, not in a bad way, but you let them know I love you and Jesus loves you because you know the stakes are that high. And for some of you, this is discouraging. You're like thinking, how do I know if I've loved enough? Let me be clear. The basis of our salvation is not on how much we love, but how, what Jesus accomplished for the cross. That Jesus loved enough in our place but when he does, you'll see God's love flowing through us. So this is what the question you need to ask. Do you see God's love in you? Is it growing? When I share this, you desire to love more. Is it like, man, Benita, I want to love better. I want to love more. When you see this message and when you hear this message, are you inspired to say, God, that's me. Fill me with your love. There's another test that John gives to show that we've been born of God. When I first read this, I couldn't figure out why John put this section. It seemed like he was kind of changing directions mid-thought. But he's very intentional in putting verse 17 and 18 in this section. Look at it. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So how do we have confidence on the day of judgment? There is no fear in love. But he says, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So here's test two. We know that we know that we're children of God and that we know God because God's love has driven out fear. 
We're not afraid all the time that God is mad at us. We're not afraid of death or punishment. It's like one commentator I read said this. When you trust the gospel, you have no guilt in life and no fear in death. What John is saying is that when we trust Jesus and his love grows and we lose fear and we grow in love, the gospel does those two things in us simultaneously. And that's why you know you love Jesus. You're walking with him. You're following him. There's no guilt in your life. Like, here's how you know when you're a Christian. You put your head head at night and you know there's no secret sin. You know there's nothing on your life. You know there's nothing that's going to ever be found out about you because Jesus took care of it. And you're loving with Christ. You have a clear conscience conscience you're no longer fearful you're no longer fearful that that person's going to find out about this or this is going to happen or that's going to take place there is no more guilt there's no more shame and you're not you're not afraid every time that god's going to be mad at you because you realize that even when you do sin you're walking after him you're following him you're serving him a life with no fear it's a powerful thing that the gospel gives us And the last test is this. We know that we're children of God and we love God. We talked about this. This is the most important, that we trust Jesus alone for entrance into heaven. I ask questions to people all the time and ask them, if you die today, are you sure if you'll go to heaven? The most common answer I get, I told you last week, is, I think I I will. I'm trying harder. I'm going to church. But when somebody answers like that, they haven't. Understand and grasp the gospel because entrance into heaven is not something that we earn. It's something that Jesus earned for us. And we can have this confidence. This is the confidence that we can have. That we know a God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know. I gotta, gotta know. You may know that you have eternal life. Is God's love in you. Is fear driven out. Are you trusting Jesus alone? I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.